given to me by Woody Shaw, Sunship, Dizzy, and John Kahn, dedicated to pursuing a piece of our cultural heritage through interviews with my music heroes. This is the Jake Feinberg Show. Inside the Blackwood Broadcasting Studios at an undisclosed institute of higher learning, this is the Jake Feinberg Show, and we're happy to have all of you along with us today. The gallop, the rhythm, the beat and the pulse, the driving pulsating rhythm that makes the body move and the mind expand. Music in Africa has always been used to alleviate the pain and suffering of the common folk held under the thumb of military governments, foreign oppressors, and self-inflicted wounds. This music, the Afrobeat, comes from the drum, an apparatus that has been used over centuries to communicate. It was used in Africa during colonial times. They were used during diaspora on the ships as the slaves were traded amongst the islands. They were used in Congo Square, where music was played outside, and this nonverbal communication sparked an identity in these Americans. My guest today is a world-renowned bass player and percussionist. He grew up in Nigeria amidst the forests and animals and listened to countless hours of shortwave radio taking in jazz, blues, rock, and other world music. It is no surprise that my guest was at the center of this blending of genres with Victor Olaye, Fela Kuti, Joni Hastrup, in Monomo. My guest plays hypnotic bass lines, the kinds that have you rocking back and forth, free of clutter and chatter and distractions. This vibration carries into your soul and naturally it emboldens you to be yourself. He came to the States in 1985 with King Sonny Ade with intentions to preserve the rhythms of his people and promote a new generation of Western players in the age of digitization. He now lives in the Bay Area and keeps the pocket with the Afro Groove Connection, West African High Life Band, and the Nigerian Brothers. Babaken Okulolu, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thank you, my good friend Jake. That's a wonderful introduction. Loved it. Well, it's true. It's uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard for a guy uh, a guy who grew up in Long Island, New York, and from 1978 to um, to sort of. Uh, I, I, you know, you can only learn so much through history books, Bob, again, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and so I try to go, I try to go directly to the source and you are one of those sources and I feel honored to be able to, to talk to you today as well. So thank you for taking the time. It's a pleasure to be on your show. 
Baba Ken, please yes. talk to my audience, if you would, about um, your family. I was going to ask you about a, a, tip, mm-hmm. a typical uh, family, uh, but I said no. I want to know about Baba Ken specifically. Your your family, how musical your family was, and mm-hmm. and the and the village or the or the community that you grew up in. Mm-hmm. Well, I happen to come from a village called Alaja. Alaja is on the coastline of Nigeria, um, more specifically where the oil companies, the multi-corporation oil companies, are drilling for oil and shipping the oil out every day, but left the ecosystem there in a big disaster, but nobody's caring to clean them up. Yeah. Um, and it's in this way, way, way down south of uh, Nigeria, like I said, it's along the coastline. And um, I grew up with a family of farmers, dancers, storytellers. My dad was a really spiritual healer, and um, he was uh, known in the village as the peacemaker. Um, and my mom was a really good singer and a dancer as well. So are my other brothers. Um, so I was born into this family, and, um, you know, in the village those days, we didn't have the luxury of uh, um, radio, television, or whatever, where you can entertain yourself. But what I learned became very useful to me because um, I learned from my elders and my parents how to play drums, how to sing, and how to be grounded and hold a groove together. And this followed me throughout my lifetime. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful that I went through that regiment of uh, listening to my elders, how music is performed. Could you, could you talk, if you would, about, like, uh, you, you said your dad was a peacemaker. Mm-hmm. What, could you give an example of what, he, what kind of things he would do as a healer? Well... One thing that I observed, I observed him did was when there was a dispute between two people in the village, maybe somebody did something wrong, maybe steal a piece of something, and uh, it was like it was like the judge. They bring the problem to him, and he performed some kind of uh, oracle. And uh, honestly speaking, it was very, very truth-telling. When you see this, thing, when he performed, this oracle and um, when two people are arguing no i didn't do it no i did it or he didn't do it he did this miracle that actually proved the accused to confess at the end of the whole wow exercise holy cow wow <laughs> i mean that, yeah see that is i mean that's that's not of this world it's visiting that's that's not of this world that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> and for you to see that as a young boy is incredible. It was, it was incredible. And I, you, each time he performed that, I used to be amazed. Um, so that stuck in my memory, and um, I wish he taught me how to do it, but he never did. So um, <laughs> that is gone with the wind. <laughs> I mean, it's one yeah. of those things where it's maybe you were gifted with that. It's hard to really t- teach that per se. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's something that's... Mm-hmm. But you, going back to the to the um the african i just think it's really important because 
Uh, I talked to uh, guys that, you know, maybe they were born, they're Puerto Rican, they grew up in New York or mm-hmm. or Cuba. Uh, yeah, I've interviewed so many percussionists, and a lot of them talk about going back 40 years or so, uh, you know, you could find drums in every all the neighborhoods. Everybody, yeah. everybody was playing drums, and they were playing Afro-Cuban or, or, or Bassa rhythms, different types of rhythms, but... Mm-hmm. You, you know, you were steeped in more African rhythms, and and they actually were stories. The 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 they were a language, and they are a language. And I think it's so important for people like yourself who continue to carry the tradition forward, who continue to do it in a prolific way, to really talk about just one in one story in particular, or how translate how the rhythms of the drum connect to language. Well, I will say the first music that a human family learned how to play was clapping and dancing. And uh, it was uh, a very, very interesting thing because, like I said earlier on, we didn't have any other form of entertainment in a village setting. So you are compelled to um, use whatever instrumentation you were able to make with your hands and use the stories that goes with the rhythms. And these stories are social commentaries most of the time, what happens in the past and what happened next and how somebody was introduced to something else. I mean, the stories were very revealing of the past and what to expect in the near future. So these rhythms were interwoven into stories, and um, that's how actually uh, the village setting is all about. Um, these are the things that you grew up listening to, and every day you hear it. There were music for different kinds of events, for instance, for a wedding party or for a wakekeeping for marriages, for giving away a little uh, a girl, a little daughter to a marriage, uh, arranging for all kinds of events, and um, music was used uh, traditionally, and there are all different rhythms, and even when the chief of the village wants to say something to the rest of the village, he sends out a messenger with a cowbell or a little drum mm-hmm. to someone, you know, the villagers or the king or the chief of the village wants to say something important to all the villagers that evening or the next day. And actually these drums, the sound of these drums and the bells can travel really far in the in the villages. And nearby village people will all come together and listen to what the chief has to say. So that was our form of communication and amusement. Did you, um, uh, were there rites of passage, like when you were a young boy, like you would have to demonstrate certain patterns in order to elevate to the next step in, in terms of drumming? Or were you, I just know that your, the, your, your ability to sort of move to the next step, it was always, uh, it's much different than anything going on in the West. You know. Exactly. Well, first they start you on a bell, and then they start you on a wooden block, or we call it koi koi, 
and those little instruments are the nucleus of the rhythm section. If you can hold it down to as long as the rhythm goes, then you have, you know, graduated from that level. Right. And then you can go into a drum pattern. They give you a drum to play and give you a pattern to play. And if you can hold it down, you move to the next level of improvisation. So it's just, you know, you go through the steps um, until your elders are confident that you can hold it on your own. And then you begin to play a role of a soloist. So on and so forth. I I I, I think back now to this... Uh, I, I just try to envision your village, uh, you know, near the uh, the delta or, mm-hmm. or the water. Uh, you know, tell, tell you know my my oldest daughter is is in the studio with me, and and we go to the zoo, mm-hmm. and so we'll see all these animals. But mm-hmm. what did you? What kind of? How would how would you? Um, in fact, around our house, sometimes we might see bobcats uh, or uh, you know different javelinas, you know, which are native to the desert. But, you know, how, how did you guys uh, interact with the animals and how did they become part of the community as well? Well, uh, mostly our domestic animals were chickens and goats and dogs and cats. And um, they are part of the family, as we call it, even though they are not you know, humans, but they have their own sensibilities and their own spirit that uh, um, uh, that unites with the family. So we treat the animals just as you would treat other family members. Um, and um, so these are the things that we uh, <laughs> used to in the village. And of course, uh, we go to the you know riverside, and you know we have our hooks, and we look for fish and we go to the farm and um, even during the farming we use songs that are very elevating to keep us going even if it's a hot day um, we, 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 we use songs to uh, just keep us going so that you know, there is you know uh, there's a strength there's a spirit that moves you when some of the songs are sung and um, it's really interesting how music can move you and enable you to do certain things that you might not be able to do otherwise. Um, and that was a fun time for me, if I remember. Yeah, you know, because um, at some point you went off to a parochial school or an English school, uh, and, and, and it seemed like, um, you know, you, you lived through it, but it was like... Uh, the curriculum very hard. I'm sure the teachers were were very strict and mm-hmm. maybe uh, somewhat cruel. But you really, the the outlet of music at that time was so important to you. Yeah, and, it was. And talk talk about. I mean, were were you did you use the like all the were you frustrated with school and then you would go and 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 it would be a great outlet for you or were you actually because when I look at Fela and mm-hmm. I look I look at yourself and. Um, and Joni Hastrup, and there's just a King Sunny Day. You know, you guys came from parents uh, who were very educated as well. And so I, I don't believe you, uh, the environment might have been stifling, but I think that you guys were well educated. There's no doubt in my mind. 
Well, uh, education is very necessary as a young African growing up. And uh, we, I went through the Anglican uh, school, um, and, the, and the Anglican school, you are compelled to also go to a church services every Sunday, right? Um, a part of the teaching of the school. And education, like I said, is really, really, really was the back, backbone of my upbringing. And I didn't shy away from it. I went through the regimen because I knew I was getting something useful for myself in the future. So I went through that and was very pleased that I did. Um, if I didn't, I won't be able to talk to you as I'm talking to you now. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So it was very beneficial to me. And at the time, I didn't know, you know, if I was going to be anything at all or travel out of my country at all. But uh, as it turns out, I, I really am fortunate that I went through that. And uh, I'm ripping the root, the fruit of the <laughs> <laughs> of the education today. And um, I'm glad I went through that and my parents pushed me to do that. It's very, very rewarding, very rewarding. I am fascinated with um, a certain period in time of music when you... Uh, happened to be really sort of at the beginning of your career, which is mm-hmm. you know the late '60s and early '70s, and there was just so much. I, I just smile to myself and know that you were listening to the shortwave radio. Maybe there was even some records around. I don't know, but you must have been hearing uh, guys like James Brown and Sly, mm-hmm. Sly and the Family Stone and right, and, right. and and Sonny. I don't know. I mean, tell me what were you? What was in your ears at that time? Well, at that time when I was. Probably I was about 10 or 12 years old. Um, there was a radio station in my in the capital in the city of Wari, which is uh, the capital of the Delta State. Um, they were the radio station is just one station, one dial. <laughs> it's, it's called Radio Fusion Radio, and you the news, the national news comes through there. Music from all of our parts of the world comes through there. So it's, it was programmed in a way that you can hear almost everything that's happening in the world. And I was very interested in listening to uh, Western music, most especially, you know, uh, the new music that was being introduced in America and Europe and uh, the Congos and some part of Africa. As a young man, my, I gravitated towards listening to all kinds of music, and the only thing that really interested me each time I listened to a piece of music was the bass guitar. <laughs> 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 no, but tell me, tell me, uh, was it like I, I'm curious? Like the new music was it Motown? Was it the soul music? What were you? What were the bass lines that you were? Was it James Jamerson? Do you know the name specifically? I just because when I listened to your bass line. Mm-hmm. I hear I hear a lot of cats from uh, America uh, who were channeling similar things. It was a, it was an R and B. There was a soul mm-hmm. funk thing, and I'm just curious as to know what you were. I mean, obviously you listened to it all, but it, it, I did, I did. I never actually listened to soul music until I went to the city of Lagos. Mm-hmm. But down in my little village, I mean, little city called Wari. I was listening to people like uh, Harry Belafonte, mm-hmm. people like uh, my um, 
Mighty Spiral, uh, Calypso, and uh, ballroom music like, you know, Fly Me to the Moon and all kinds of stuff because um, because the city was, um, uh, it was a seaport. There were a lot of uh, sailors who were coming through, and when they come to the nightclub, they want to hear something they're familiar with. So we were compared to learn all kinds of ballroom music, um, and um, first, like Foxtrot, and, uh, jazz, and uh, uh you know, ballroom music, dance music, and we did all that as an educational uh, beginning for me as a musician. And then when I got to to Lagos, the big city of Lagos, I began to hear during the disco era. I began to hear James Brown, Wilson Pickett, uh, Stevie Wonder, and all the big great musicians from the from America, and as well as the Beatles. Um, so I began to actually very interested in listening and learning how these musicians were putting their stuff together. And in Africa, since we, I didn't go formally attend uh, music school, but the way we learned uh, was by the ear. You put a record on and you pick up the parts and you play it exactly the way you hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the way I grew up. I grew up you know, using my ear and my brain to capture the sound that I was hearing. And uh, it's very helpful in a way because that way you've trained yourself. I trained myself actually to use my ear and capture sound. Um, but by so doing, whatever I learned remains in my memory for as long as I can keep it there and use it when I want to use it. So and so, like I said, I didn't get to hear most of this Western music, modern music that was coming to to Nigeria until I got to the city of Lagos during the disco era. How much? How much? How much courage did it take to go to Lagos, uh, if at all? I mean, because I, I read something where you said you know you you had to be brave, and then you went to Lagos. What did that mean exactly? Well, think about this. You're a young man, maybe 17, 18 years old, and you knew nobody in this big city of Lagos. Um, mm-hmm. You were just being found by a scout who said, this great musician is looking for a bass player of my caliber. And to jump in a transportation with somebody you, have, you don't know, you haven't met before, and just brave it and go to Lagos because somebody said they're looking for somebody. Right. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's so fun. It's so, it's such an honor to talk to you because I mean, I can read Hugh Masekela's book mm-hmm. or I can read about Fela or, but I get to talk to you and, and you hear these stories about Lagos, uh, you know, walking, Hugh Masekela waking up one morning and walking into a, a, sto- a storefront, and mm-hmm. he said the hair on his back of his neck stood up, and it was yeah. all these older people, and it wasn't. It, it was not a good vibe. And when he came back, Fela said it was a. It was a place you normally didn't walk out alive. Exactly. Was, exactly. And, and I'm like, that is, on top of the fact that it wasn't. You know, it just must have been 
what an adventure. What do you think was, so the scout brought you in there. Tell me that magical moment where you got connected to your first person there. What was the, the how did that work? So, so we took a trip. Well, let me just back up a little bit. Sure. We were, we were in the town where I was found. It was called Sapale. We had a Sunday jump with a band I was working with. And I was on contract with this band. And uh, the scout himself who came to look for me was a friend of my boss, the, the, the proprietor of the band. And he spent the night at his house. And in the afternoon, we had the afternoon Sunday jump, and he came to the club and saw me uh, performing with my band. And he said, at the end of the event, he came to me and said, I really like the way you play, and that uh, would you mind going to Lagos to play with this big band called Victor Elias Band? I said, well, uh, I'm on a contract, and I don't want to break my contract because I'll be in trouble. <laughs> and uh, also, my uncle, who actually taught me how to play, was a guitarist for the band. So I was thinking, how would I tell my brother that I'm leaving the band to go to Lagos, and there was no other bass player to take my place? And I was on contract. And how will my brother be treated after I left? Right, right. Um, so all those were running through my head. Mm. And so the next morning, the the guy said, well, we have to leave as early as 5 a.m. in the morning so that nobody knows that we are escaping from from from, from the band. So I said to him, I said, well, do you know that your friend is the, uh, the proprietor of the band? He said, of course I know. And did you talk to him about it? He said, no. Um, because he wouldn't agree for for me to leave the band if he did, so we snuck we snuck out early morning. My brother was still sleeping. I took my little suitcase and my little transistor radio, and off we went to the motor pack, and then we took off to Lagos. And upon arriving in Lagos, I was taken straight to the hostel where the musicians were kept. Um, they gave me a room, and funnily enough. Before I joined the band, there were other two bass players already in the band. Um, one can play really nice African, you know, music. Yes. And the other can play soul music that was coming into the country. Uh-huh. And uh, and not both of them were not capable of doing all the things that the band wanted a bass player to do. So with within a short time. When I came in, they were very jealous about me. I mean, they they were saying, "Okay, what is this little guy gonna do here? (laughs) 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 Is he here to take my job?" I know. I mean, so that enmity was just going on, flowing, and I could see it in their faces and in their in their behavior. So that made me scared as well, even though. I was introduced to the band leader, and he likes me, and we had a rehearsal. He loved what I what he heard. And before long, I rendered the two other bass players redundant in the band. Um, they had nothing to do because I could do both what both of them could do. I could do as you know together uh, as as one person. Exactly. So um, the band leader said, "Well, uh, there's no point paying three bass players." Um, so he sacked the other two bass players, and I became the main bass player 
in Victor Elias band and Victor Elias band was uh was too he had the high life band he also has the soul music that was coming in uh as part of his band because the college students really liked the soul music and the soul music was played for mostly the college students and high life music was for the for the older folks um so i became um friends with the lead singer of the soul music who was Johnny Hastrop at that time in the band so we became really good friends and since i could do everything they all fell in love with my performances and uh along the way Johnny Hastrop left the band to travel to london with to be part of Ginger Baker's Air Force band sure sure and when he came back to Nigeria after a couple of years or so he said you know he has a lot of music and he said can we form a band and that's how the group Mono Mono was was born and so i also break my contract from Olaya's band to join Johnny Hastro because as a young musician i was on the move to discover new music and do new things and i didn't want to be tied down uh in one band uh for for as long as uh the salary is coming in i was very adventurous i wanted to you know to perform new things and do new stuff so i foolishly maybe foolishly followed johnny hastrop or maybe wisely followed johnny hastrop and we formed the band and uh, we wrote music and we did our first album it became a very successful album and we got equipment from EMI records and this put us on the road we were touring all over west africa and nigeria and um i was happy that i did that because that i could actually open a lot of avenues for me as a musician and open my eyes on how to write music and how to compose and how to uh uh how to lead the band actually i was the it turns out i became the leader of the band cuz i was as a founding member johnny hastro was just uh the lead singer frontline man but i was the one really responsible for keeping the musicians together and rehearsing them well listen you know you have segued beautifully into uh let let's let's step back for a minute mm-hmm. mono mono and uh and and play a clip of music here and we'll come back and talk about it okay okay
bring you back a little bit yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that, that, memory. that song is emma kowa lasa you, you you say it you say it. you say emma the... which means don't teach us what we already know in terms of our culture T- tell me expand on that who's who's telling you what you already know well the song is about telling the um, colonial masters who came to Africa to teach us uh, our way of life and telling us our way of life is not a good way. But we are using this song to tell them, you don't have to come and teach us our way of life. We already know our way of life. And your way of life is different from our way of life. And we will do things the way we do our things culturally before you came. So you had these uh, colonial European countries coming in and saying, you know, we know, we, we want to impose our lifestyle on you. Right. And yet, through your own culture, you already know this stuff. And that's what you, Ex- you were saying to them. Exactly, exactly. That's what the song is all about. Don't come and teach us our culture. We... We know what we want, and we know what is good for us, and you don't have right to come and change things around here. You know, that was with, uh, just for the record, that was Mono, 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 yeah. Mono, Mono and that, that was the, your first album, I believe, Give the Beggar a Chance. Correct. Um, you know, but uh, tell me about, uh, it almost doesn't seem real. There's a lot of, um, you know, you have the Broadway show now for Fela that's been going on for five mm-hmm. years. And mm-hmm. um, I, I was actually hip to him uh, somewhat recently, only in the last few years. And I, I listened and I say, my God, Baba Ken was playing those pulsating bass lines, just like you were here with mm-hmm. this, this, I mean, you had multiple percussion 
uh, multiple horns. Fela was all over the place in a shrine mm-hmm. in the part in in the in the place where there would be like these large concerts till early in the morning. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. It does. It it seems almost. Uh, it's hard for my friends and I as we sit and listen to this stuff. Uh, how magical the music was, and and uh, if you would take my audience into uh, how you met Fela, and then sort of you know how just his demeanor and your demeanor and and and, mm-hmm. and the messages and how 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 it was uh, what was what was Fela really about in your mind? Well, Fela's story is a very interesting story, um, as you probably might have read. He was sent abroad to educate himself as a doctor, but he rebelled upon getting there and changed his course to become a musician. And his family didn't really love that, but you know, that's his style. That's what he wanted to do, and he did it. Um, when he came back from Europe, um, he was playing jazz high life. He wasn't playing Afrobeat at all. And just how life was too complicated for African audience to understand because there was so much arrangement, so much, but it was undanceable. So he thought about, you know, what can I do to make people dance and make myself become a non-musician? And he actually changed the entire music style that he performed after a successful tour uh, to the U.S., where he stayed here for about nine months, and upon return, his about changed and started the Afrobeat uh, genre. Um, with Afrobeat genre, he was able to express himself um, with the things that are happening around him. And uh, he was, first of all, he wasn't against the government in his early recordings. He was only talking about uh, things that are really happening. That, you know, he was folk songs in, um, in, in, in collaboration with the, uh, the, the, the heavy rhythms of you know, drums and a lot of horns. Um, and the music became... Uh, he can take a hook and just run it for about 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's the thing. I mean, I, you really, you guys were, you were carving out your own sound. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. There was no, nothing could even, you hear semblances of it in the States or, right. you know, you hear things. But the the attention and the precision and the driving rhythm mm-hmm. is just, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's intoxicating. I mean, yeah. it's incredible. And I can't believe the euphoria of being able to play and see the audiences. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. I'm actually, I would love for you to tell me jazz high life. How would you just, could you put that in perspective? Who, who, who does that? What is that? What is that kind of music? Jazz high life. I believe Fela was the only one at that time who was doing jazz high life because his training, background training was in jazz. Although, uh, high life music, was already in existence before he came back. Uh, people like E.T. Mensah, the uh, Hulu dance band, Ramblers dance band, they were playing straight, danceable, high-life music. But when he came, because of his jazz background, 
he couldn't help himself but arrange her life music in a jazz format. Right. So it was undanceable because uh, there was too much arrangement and too much breaks and pauses here and there. And the Africans want to lay back. They want a lay-back music where they can actually groove to and enjoy without being disturbed rhythm, rhythmically. Um, uh, they want something that they can really uh, lay back and dance to with their wives or their concubines or their girlfriends. Um, so fellow music did not adapt to that situation at that time. Um, until he, like I said, until he came to the U.S., probably saw James Brown and saw many other, you know, American musicians and read about, you know, the American black history. And his whole persona and music changed when he got back. Um, So he adapted, I believe he adapted James Brown's style of music because when he came he had women dancers. He had, you know, all kinds of things that uh, uh, James Brown were were introducing at that time, and that reality. And he could play a couple of songs or three songs for the whole of the night um, by stretching them out really long, and that way you can dance and dance and dance until you feel like not dancing anymore. So that really helped him and change his music altogether. Were you, uh, was that the first time that you met uh, Tony Allen? Were you working with him in a rhythm section? Uh, Tony Allen was on the original drama with Fella, even with his jazz high life band. That's, he used to call himself the Kula Lobitos. Um, Fella and the Kula Lobitos. I met Tony Allen in, uh, in Fella's band. Um, for me, as the performer with Fela was not per se a stationary thing. I was I was invited guest most of the time because I had mono mono going on, mm-hmm. so I couldn't be in two bands at the same time. And at the time, he had problems with bass players because he will sometimes have a concert set up and you will find out, yes, no, his bass player is missing. <laughs> <laughs> he was no, because he, he was like, I mean, I. That's what I want to ask you because you were such yeah. a you were such a, a loving and you know so affable person. Uh, he really was. He would get angry if you did not keep the rhythm. You know, exactly. exactly. So a lot of people were hiding. Probably they didn't want to come. You know, I mean, exactly. Yeah. I mean, he was so, such. Uh, a main band leader that, you know, uh, he hardly kept bass players for too long. Because, I mean, very few people would be able to hold down a rhythm for 20 minutes. Oh, my gosh. Playing Holy the same, playing, yeah, playing the same figure. <laughs> and, <laughs> playing the same figure without changing it, and you cannot flutter. You, you have to keep it on the groove. You cannot, you know, deviate from what he has told you to do. So when he runs into trouble with bass players, and I'm the one he calls upon to fill in the gap, so that's how that's on the basis of which I worked with him off and on. And uh, Tony was my man because he was really, really one of the best drummer uh, to come out of that country, and because he was a uh, backbone and started with Fella from the origin of their 
uh, of your musical career, he was able to really uh, create his own light drum patterns in whatever music fella was writing at that time until the point he left the band. I, I love the, uh, and it's so interesting, I, I, the music that I really listen to is this mono, 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 uh, fela uh, type stuff because it's not like, it's essentially, like you said, it's it's only a couple, it's just a rhythmic pattern that is, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a cycle and yet your solo, you know, whether it's a keyboards or horns or, and then of course the vocals are great as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it's, it's different from a lot of contemporary music in the West in the sense that uh, people feel the need to constantly have to change and bounce around and move. Right. Uh, things have to go so quick, 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 quick. And when I exactly. hear, when I hear... <laughs> I I think it's a cautious thing. <laughs> I, I, you know, but I also think it's like it's like spe- it's like a sped up sort of uh, anxiety too. Like there's no reason to. I mean, it takes you have to really calm down to mm-hmm. play 25 minutes of Afrobeat music, yeah, and you yeah. have to, and that comes from a temperament. And it, in our society now, we're so kind of geeked up, jazzed up to to. I don't know if they're trying to make a hit or they just want to mm-hmm. come out and swing it. Uh, mm-hmm. But there was some sort of, uh, oh, it was, it, it was, it just grew. There was so much beautiful space within the music. And, mm-hmm. um, and then having these women up there, paint, you know, painted faces and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, just, I mean, reading, I, I happened to read uh, uh, Masakela's book and he was just uh, amazed that, you know, he, he went to, he Fela brought him to a hotel room uh, when mm-hmm. he first got there, and it really mm-hmm. was not very. It didn't smell so good, and uh, <laughs> you, you know, and 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 Hugh was like, you know, Fela, we can't. Uh, we, I don't think we can stay here very long, you know. And 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 Fela said, don't worry, tomorrow I will send you to the uh, the hotel where the tourists stay. Mm-hmm. And then as as he left, as he left, he goes, have a good night. As he left, four women walked into the room. <laughs> to, to, and he's just like, you know, that's your present. And I'm like, this is, I got to get, you know, what is, uh, have you been to Lagos recently? Um, I left Lagos 1985, early 85, and went back 97. Um, but I haven't been back since then. You haven't been back, and is um, tell me a little bit about why, or uh, what is why is that? Um, because maybe you're just uh, too bu- maybe you're too busy. But you know, I mean, and that's good. No, you know, no, but I'm I know, cu- curious. At least I know my way around Lagos because I stayed in Lagos for 15 years, and I can speak the language, the common language there, which is Yoruba. And I can speak it, and I can speak the pidgin English, which the market women uses. Um, I know my way around. But I'm not directly from Lagos. Lagos is not my hometown. That's right. My hometown is in Wari, in the Delta region. That's where my families are, and that's where, I, that's where uh, my heart is. And Lagos is just a foreign land to me. Um, but, you know, having said that, I grew my musical uh, knowledge there in Lagos, and it's a really fast-paced, moving city. Um, it's a place where you have to go if you don't know anybody, even though you make friends instantly, people will take you in. At the same time, it's very fast-moving city. You have to watch your back each time you know you are in the city. 
it didn't used to be like that, but when the economy you know of the country turned around, uh, people must survive, so they do whatever they can to survive everyday life. And uh, I love the city. It's, it's, it's a very crowded city. And it's very, very tight. Uh, and, and I mean, we're talking about traffic. Traffic is hell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was the other thing. Roy, Roy Ayers, when he, yeah, Roy, Roy showed up there and, uh, yeah. and, and, and he said Fela was there with about 70 people, but it was jammed. It took hours to get back to the, you know, it's just, it, it's, uh, you know what it is as a journalist, mm-hmm. uh, a young journalist, mm-hmm. I, and so fascinated with, uh, especially African drumming within jazz, which mm-hmm. I feel has been really taken away. I mean, I feel like it's been sapped out. I'm not. Yeah. It, it bothers me very much because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the roots of the heritage of the music of the people that lived in this country. Exactly. You know, and 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 so I just am dying to have an opportunity to go there and but and, and chronicle what you know these new movements, whether mm-hmm. they are. Uh, political in nature, because in many ways, Fela's was, and I think probably in some cases, uh, Hastrips, you know, all you guys were singing about these things and talking yeah. about, you know, and, and so I want to go, whether it's Wari or, or these places that are bubbling with activity and to see younger musicians, uh, you know, how they're cultivating and how they're learning from masters, because I assume that still must go on. It's still going on. It's still going on off. Well, unfortunately, most of the young folks that are coming up these days, uh, they're into rap, right? They're into rap. They've music. gone into reggae and rap, yeah. and they're not keeping the tradition of the real African music. Although they're all African music, but in different format, and it's got to do with generational uh, divide, I guess, um, because the young folks of these days they are looking up to America and Europe for something new instead of diving deep into their own cultural heritage and uh, creating music that reflects that. Right. Um, although, I must say, uh, most of the rappers in Nigeria are using their natural language, like the Yoruba language, uh, to sing their songs, which is good. But the beat is not, not, not indigenous, it's foreign. It's is is I mean, is it electronic? Is it? Is, it's is electronic. It, yeah, that's yeah, it. I mean, they, so it's yeah. it's 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 to, it's foreign by any name. It's not. Mm-hmm. It is not being done. It's not real. Yeah. It's not being done by real people because that's right. and you can hear that and it's and it and it creates a sterility. So it, the fact that they're keeping the the language and that's what I hear a lot of the time. You know, people say, "Wow, these guys are great poets." These hip hop guys. And I, you know, I I have no doubt to. I don't I don't doubt that, but I mm-hmm. also say. There's something to be said for being a great improvisational and/or rhythmic musician, be able to play right. an instrument really well, especially from a country as rich as Africa. I mean, mm-hmm. do you, you know, um, before we go any further, let's uh, let's cue up another tune here because this these are the grooves that uh, that that I, I live and die with, and, uh, <laughs> and, and 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 Baba, we'll come back and talk about it. Okay. Okay, yeah. All right. But
the sound of the drum once again. <laughs> Make them realize off the second album, Dawn of Awareness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I yeah, there's there. I think the other thing that that from my ear, I'm not a musician, but I I hear uh, such a, a solid bottom end there. Uh, so much rhythm, so much percussion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know. You could probably say it better than anybody, but. When you came here in the mid '80s, uh, King Sunny Day, uh, by that point, uh, the drum machine, uh, the click track was involved. Um, you had the synthesizers. Um, how has what happened in your mind? Where did music, African music specifically, Afro beat, uh, Afro groove? Uh, you continue to do it today, but. Where did that driving rhythm, that heart, you know what I'm talking about. It's just, it's that burn, the burning sensation. Where, where how do you account for it? It seems less now. Uh, you mean where it is now? Yeah, where it is, where is it now? Where is it now? Because it seems lighter. I, I listen to your more contemporary albums. I listen to, uh, you know, other African art, artists, and it seems lighter, just lighter, mm-hmm. you know, more buoyant, very buoyant, but 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 not as... Not as urgent. There seemed mm-hmm. to, there seemed to be, have been an urgency there, and maybe mm-hmm. maybe it was the straight what you guys were trying to express. But um, talk to me about that evolution from that time to sort of, you know, when you first came to the states and how the music uh, changed. Well, uh, let me start by saying when you take a piece of music out of the original setting and take it somewhere else where and you perform it with people who are not familiar with it, things are about to change. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what I, my experience, first experience was when I came here. Um, people were not familiar with the rhythm and the one very common question that I was thrown at all the time was, where is the number one bit? And it's a very, very common question that Westerners ask when it comes to African music. And my answer to them is always the number one beat is everywhere in the music. You mm-hmm. just have to listen carefully and find a relationship and listen to the discussion that is going on within the instruments uh, because it's a conversation going on and you have to be able to uh, find where the conversation starts and where it ends. Uh, if you can figure that out from the instrumentation point of view, then you have no problem with the number one beat. Um, the Western the Western music always put their number one beat on the down beat, but Africans don't necessarily do that mm-hmm. because in one beat. It's internal. It's a clock. It's there. It's, you don't have to look for it. Uh, you flow with it. You do anything on top of it. It's still, you're still grounded. But if it's a language that you don't know how to speak and you don't know how the idioms involved in the language, you're bound to be lost. And because, um, in addition to that, because African music is is uh should I say uh motor is polyrhythmic is 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 things thrown upon each other exactly and um so it's hard for the common ear to really figure out what's going on 
There's so many things going on at the same time. Even though there's an agreement within the instrumentations, what is going on? Uh, if you're not used to it, if you're not born into it, if your ears weren't open to accepting that kind of conversation, you'll find it difficult to uh, to find where you belong. So, um, no, I think it's. I think you really uh, did a beautiful job. Um, because you're right, when you take that native, uh, you know what? It, what's so beautiful? Oh, I just want to say is that you can mm-hmm. hear the influences of your band. Uh, well, you like you said, you became the leader of the band, uh, mm-hmm. the the Mono Mono uh, mm-hmm. band, and and it's 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 nice to hear the arrangements and mm-hmm. the, and the influences that you were clearly receiving and hearing mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. different parts of the world and then incorporating obviously your own you exactly. it was just yeah. it, when i hear that i said my god i mean you know i i love the grateful dead and i i sometimes i listen to the guitar solos and i'm saying this is more like psychedelic bay area stuff. exactly you know exactly. it's it just it's just blow mind-blowing to me yeah uh, and 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 i just think that um it, it it's an the a really good point you bring up is that you come here and many people don't know they don't know the traditions of the music and that that is uh easy for me to say because you know i'm just a journalist but it's like i i say what what is baba ken how does he t- how does he climb this mountain of being able to um you know uh impact even just a small percentage of those who really want to know the mm-hmm. traditions they have to that's what you were saying is that people just say where's the one beat where's the mm-hmm. one beat they just want they don't want to listen so part of it is the generational thing we have a hard exactly. we have a hard time listening now yeah and yeah. that and so how do you how do you work with do you, when you work with students you you work on uh, you work on listening i would assume very very much well when i work with students the first thing i you know, tell my student is this, there is a conversation going on and you got to listen um, to the conversation properly. And music is a teamwork. And if one person is lacking behind, uh, it draws, it pulls the rest of the group back, you know, to where they are going. And they have to use your ears, listen, not only listen while playing, but as a, a playing as an ensemble or playing with somebody else, you have to be able to listen what the other person is doing so that you are in unity, so that you are in, in, in sync with each other. And if they are not in sync with each other, um, nobody can dance to whatever they're doing. Um, so the, my first lesson to them is listen, the ability to listen carefully and uh, be able to hear what's going on around them and adapt to that. Once they can hold a groove down, then um, they have passed a very crucial uh, point of uh, learning. Um, if you're not listening and you cannot hold down a groove, um, that, most people have hard time because uh, not all of us have the ability to actually hold down a groove. Right. Holding, holding down a groove is a very big task for most students. Especially for 25 minutes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> even for three minutes. Right, and that's true. even for 20 seconds. I mean, it's hard. No, it's, it's hard. Yeah, and what, what I found out was, you know, um, getting a band together here was really difficult because um, 
guitar players, for instance, they they want to just fly. They just want to play solo. You don't, you can't hold them down to hold a groove and play a rhythmic pattern for at least, you know, three four minutes. They find it difficult. Right. Um, but I don't blame them because it's 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 again it's a cultural thing. They didn't grow up. Nobody taught them how to hold down a groove. And uh, it, it, it's a strange thing. And once they begin to adapt to that and understand what's going on in the music, they actually loved it. And they, they, they go along with it and they say, oh, wow, this is where you're coming from. Okay, now I get it. So things like that. Um, uh, I, I don't start any student without teaching them the basic rhythms that makes the music. You have to start walking before you can run, and uh, it's, it's that's just the way it is. That's absolutely right. It's an organic process too. Exactly. Yeah, you have to you have to take it from the beginning, not just throw it at them, because it, it overwhelms them when when that happens. But when you take it from the beginning and teach them how the rhythm goes, how to count, how to count in six eight and twelve eight and four fours. And break down the rhythm, you know, to them. They 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 do it. They do they do get it. They do get it. And that's the process I usually go through when I teach my students. Well, you know, we could talk to Baba Ken for uh, you know, it seems like two or three hours. But uh, I I did want to play a track of music here. I thought it was really appropriate uh, off one of one you of the, yeah the the uh, song the. the uh, the city that I send you, one of them says song, um, song, one of my African drum songs. Yes. Now, I want you to listen to that, and you can actually understand what I, what I was just saying in terms of rhythm patterns and how instruments, local instruments, just drums, no guitars, nothing, and voices, how they can communicate together and make music that is danceable. Can you tell me what CD that is on? It's on the Baba Ken uh, African Drum Songs. African Drum Songs, beautiful. I think that's the one we're... Uh, okay, I have it here. Yeah, but we're going to listen to something else in honor of all the women out there, and uh, <laughs> and then we'll, we'll come back and talk about it, okay? Okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you. 
nothing better pass, nothing gonna be, nothing better pass, mama kuno, nothing better pass, nothing gonna be, nothing better pass, mama kuno, nothing better pass, nothing gonna be, nothing better pass, mama kuno, nothing better pass, nothing gonna be, nothing better pass, mama kuno. resonated with me that song because uh i have two daughters at home and mm-hmm. and i know that things are hard for girls in the states but i think it's important for you to talk about uh the women in uh in africa too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh and how uh <clears throat> you know how difficult to tell 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 me about the the situations the inequity still between men males and and females in africa well, um, in my generation, uh, as growing up in the village, um, it is true that women are not allowed to just go out and pick a man and come home and say, Daddy, Mommy, this is my husband or boyfriend. Right. Um, this has to be arranged between two families. And uh, something called a dowry has to be paid to uh, the the bride's uh, uh, family uh, in order for them to give their daughter away in marriage. So it's an arranged marriage. And I believe it still goes on in some of the villages, um, but civilization has, you know, moved on, and these days... Uh, in the cities, those things are not practical anymore. Uh, and um, and the other thing was, uh, our f- family never believed that they will, they should send female to an educational uh, venue, right? Or educate them so that they become, you know, good citizen. They believed that you know, education is meant for the boys only. And that woman's place is only in the kitchen. Is that still the way? I mean, I feel like maybe it's changing somewhat, or is it still kind of like that a lot? Well, that's what I'm saying. In the cities, mm-hmm. things have changed. Yes. Things are no longer in that, you know, that uh, 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 form of, uh, uh, of uh, mindset. Um, but in the deep villages, it's still practiced. Um, sure. But when they move to the city where you know people are well educated and things are not the same as they are in the village uh women are are bold enough to say you know this is what i want to do because they have become educated uh and they know what is good for them and what is not good for them so they want that freedom which is the freedom every woman wants in the whole the rest of the world um, so it's civilization, civilization has caught up with them, and they are no longer abiding to that rule. Um, but probably, I'm not sure, but still probably it's been practiced in the villages as well. You know, Baba Ken, I, uh, I, uh, I just wanted to tell you, um, you know, let's, uh, let's spend some time, uh, mm-hmm. uh, in another session, uh, t- continuing our conversation because, uh, <laughs> I enjoyed could, it. Yeah, I, I hope you did. I, I really, uh, I must tell you that, uh, 
with your new incarnations, uh, your uh, the Nigerian brothers uh, and the, <clears throat> you know, I, I would love if you guys are uh, going to go go and take your, uh, go to Africa or go somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, I would really love to be able to um, come and see that and actually uh, experience it full time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, it's just extremely important or come see you in the Bay Area as well, but I just also would like to continue um, our discussion about, um, you know, what you're doing now. I think it's, a, and uh, obviously you're still playing with uh, Soji Odukobi, mm-hmm. you know, so there's uh, much more to talk about, but uh, right. I must tell you it's an honor to talk to you today, and uh, I really I, I appreciate you taking your time. Well, it's a pleasure, Jake, uh, for having me, and uh, we will continue the discussion some other time. <laughs> of course, my friend. Have a blessed day, and we talk to you soon, okay? Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. This is the Jake Feinberg Show, and we'll see you all in a little bit.